And I want to I want to mention this one because Bridget, you talked about the centers earlier, and this is if I had to pick the, my biggest first half storyline, it would have to be um, not skipping a. I, I I don't say this disrespectfully, but they haven't really skipped a beat. If you're looking at the uh, the five on five analytics and where they are in the standings, they haven't skipped much of a beat with the absence of Bergeron and Krejci from last year. And Kevin Paul Dupont mentions that Boston's number one and two centers, Bergeron and Krejci, combined for 114 points last season. At the All-Star break, their one and two centers, Coyle and Zaka, are on pace for 129 points. Um, again, just like a, a round of applause for those two players. And that, kind, that, that tweet, even though it's talking about strictly point production, not the entire game, that, that's, <laughs> that's a major reason why they are where they are. And you also think about the roles that they're used in. And like Bergeron was a guy that was on the power play and penalty kill. Coyle and, and Zaka both take up time on the, the power play and penalty kill. So they're not, it's not just like the points. It's also situationally, they're, they're both 200 foot centers that can be res, responsive, responsible defensively. Um, and they're, they're obviously different players like Krejci. There's not a lot of players that you can compare Krejci to. Um, and Bergeron is one of the best to ever uh, play a 200 foot game at center. So uh but it's been it's been definitely a, a storyline where it, it turned out on the positive side for the Bruins. I think another storyline too was um, what it was going to be like for Montgomery to coach a team that just didn't have that like didn't have Bergeron, didn't have Felino, didn't have Crazy, didn't have like the older veteran leadership in the locker room, and also was going to go through more ups and downs and adversity this season. So um, I don't know if you have thoughts on that too. Yeah. I'll- I'll get to that next. I just wanted to wrap up with my thoughts on the the centers. I, I do think like early on in the season, they missed Bergeron's defense for sure. Like, I think when you saw how many odd man rushes the Bruins were giving up, how much time they were spending defending in their own zone. It's like, yeah, that's where you miss Bergeron's ability to kill an odd man rush before it even starts by say having like a good stick or second effort either in the offensive zone or in the neutral zone and killing plays in the defensive zone. You know, he was so good at closing out on guys and forcing turnovers. Like I thought it was evident that they were missing that. And even that, I think they're learning and like, they're starting to figure out again, how to better defend as a team without him. Like it's like, they've realized, okay, we don't have that security blanket, like the ultimate security blanket in the middle of the ice all right, how do we do it without it? And it's it probably took them a little while to figure that out, but I think they're getting there. They're not spending as much time in their own zone anymore. They're not giving up as many odd men rushes. Like that, They are possessing the puck more in the offensive zone. So, um, you know, I I know that there, there's some people and uh, maybe, you know, a certain guy named Adam Jones on our station and perhaps the afternoon host on the other station as well who – you know, all season long, I've kind of been like, well, look, they don't they don't miss Bergeron. They don't miss Bergeron. And I don't think that's fair. Like, I, I do think the areas where they missed him were very evident for a few months. Um, but they're now, I think, clearly learning, like, how to play without him and how to, you know, defend as a team and possess the puck the, the way that they need to. Well, Adam Jones also thought it would have been a good idea for Bergeron to, 
to retire like midway through last season and let the young people come up and play before we even knew that Matt Potra was ready. So um, any, any opportunity to be like, I was right. I was right. Bergeron should have retired. You know, they're better off without him. Uh, I don't think, you know, it, it sounds like a crazy, it sounded like a crazy argument then just because they're doing okay without him didn't mean it was uh, uh, going to be the best thing to happen to the Bruins. Like it wasn't, it was something they had to figure out a way to, get around, like f- figure out a way to fill in for not, not like, Oh good. He's gone. Like, no, that's not, <laughs> nobody thinks that way. No. And, and, and Charlie Coyle is not as successful as he is right now. Had he not been able to play, play alongside and, and, and learn from Bergeron for you know the better part of five, five and a half years. And, and Bergeron, same goes for Zaka. I mean, Zaka played with Krejci on, on the same line last year. He was able to pick up little things from him and, um, you know, I just think that Bergeron in particular, but him and Krejci, but Bergeron in particular, like his, 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 his mark is everlasting. I think in that dressing room and, and on the ice and in the culture there. Um, so even when they're gone, like I still think that their presence prior is still making a current impact. Yeah. So on the coaching, I think like we've definitely seen a, a different Montgomery, and we've talked about it how. You know, especially early on this season, he he was more critical, more kind of blunt assessments after the games, even after wins, not giving the team as much credit. And I think part of that was just the honest truth. Like, despite their record early on, they weren't always playing great hockey. They were relying too much on goaltending. So, yeah, he was going to be harder on them because he knew they had to be better. And part of it, I think, is also, like, an actual adjustment that he's made to make sure that when there is an opportunity to kind of crack the whip a little bit, that he does it. Because I think one of the takeaways from last year was that maybe he was a little too hands off at times and, you know, kind of left it in the hands of the leaders and assumed that because they're great leaders, that everything's going to be fine and he doesn't really have to get involved. And I think by the end it was, Hey, maybe he should have been more involved. Like maybe, yeah, you can have great leadership, but like things still are going to sound different coming from a coach versus a teammate. So um, I do think you've seen him take a more hands-on approach, partly out of necessity and partly because I think he feels like that was maybe an area where he came up a little short last year. And he's once again, he's, you know, representing the Bruins at the All-Star game this season. Um, And I don't know if you guys think that he's set up to win another Jack Adams potentially after he won it last year, best coach in the league. He's had to do things differently, but he's still gotten great results. So um, completely different than last season, but I don't, Scott, what's your opinion on that? He's, he might get some consideration, but right now I think it's between the the two Ricks out West, Rick bonus and Winnipeg and Rick Tockett in Vancouver. So um, because in, in, you know, because part of the, Jack Adams is it's it's often like a coach of a team that exceeds expectations and r- the Bruins are doing that like I'm not saying they're not so yes he deserves consideration but Winnipeg and Vancouver have really exceeded expectations yeah they have I guess it all depends on the second half of the season right. if one of those yeah. teams just falls off I, I mean until until probably the last week and a half John Tortorella would have been one of the favorites and now you know Philly's lost five in a row and gotten blown out in several of those games. 
and all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, is the sky falling in Philly? Yeah, and then with the Gautier stuff happening at the same time, like the sky did all start to fall at once. Probably even more importantly, Carter Hart. Like that's Hart, oh my god, yeah, I didn't even mention that. Uh that was a huge that's a huge problem when you lose one of your best goalies. Like you he, he's out indefinitely now because he's caught up in accused in that uh world junior scandal, the Canada U eighteen team, uh whole drama that's been going on five different guys in the NHL like yeah that that's that's ugly and I don't I don't even know what what's going to happen with that like they're taking it very seriously in Canada as well and it it just it's it's awful for a lot of reasons uh not easy to lose your goalie yeah. and um also if he's just like I didn't realize this was in his past I don't know if you guys say he had kept everything pretty well under wraps from what I understand of, of who the accused NHL players were. Yeah. I mean, no one, no one really knew the names. Like obviously you could look at the roster and some guys had been ruled out. Like some guys had legit alibis like Kale McCarr was on that team, but was on campus at the time of this event. He was at UMass out in Amherst. Uh, Dante Fabro from BU was on that team. He was also on campus for finals. So like, and they're, they're like, I know Rob, I think it was Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, like the two blue stars. I think they were, their names were cleared pretty early on, but anyone who wasn't clear, it's like you could go through and, you know, kind of be like, okay, are they one of the suspects or whatever? But we didn't really know the names until, until recently. And, um, and we're recording this Sunday afternoon. Uh, Alex Formanton, who used to play for the senators was playing over in Europe just a little while ago on Sunday was, was the first of the five to turn himself in. So um, now he is, you know, obviously officially linked to it. And the other guys, I guess, technically we're still just suspecting them for now, but you know, you can kind of, you can put the math together. Mm. Yeah. Cause um, wasn't there eight, there are eight people that were called well, back. Originally it was eight, but there's only, five that they've ordered to turn themselves in. So I don't know if there's three more that they don't have enough evidence for or exactly what the, the deal is there. Um, switching the gears back to the coaching real quick. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch the latest episode of Behind the B. I think it aired right before the Flyers game. Um, so if you haven't, then I'll just tell you what it was. But basically there was a, there was a part where the Bruins are playing St. Louis in St. Louis and – Jim Montgomery was mic'd up and I think I think last year in particular especially because the season went so well for the Bruins um he kind of had this like jolly jovial Jim persona to him and 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 going into going into last year like the Bruins fired Bruce Cassidy and presumably because they wanted a more player-friendly coach etc and um anyway in this game against St. Louis, he was anything but a jovial. He he was basically he wasn't a hard ass. He was just he was very demanding of his players and and um, you know letting them know what was and wasn't good enough. He was being positive when he needed to be, but he certainly was letting them have it. And there was one point where uh, there was a commercial timeout, and it appeared that the Bruins were about to go on a power play because. Um, McAvoy and Coyle were just like sitting on the board, just like staying off in a space or looking up at the jumbotron or something. And 
and Jim Montgomery like yelled at the two of them to go on the other side of the bench and 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 gather with their power play teammates to go over what they're about to go over and it just showed you a different side of Montgomery and I know last year like a lot of the criticism about him was that he tinkers with the lines too much and that's and that's still kind of something that's going on this year but it was at least interesting to see that he he does demand a lot of his players in game and and isn't just you know giving them you know back rubs all the time and being like good job or it's okay like you know he's he's demanding and and that's good to see yeah and, and i think you know as much as we talk about like how maybe he's changed a little from last year and, and i do think he's changed his approach like he's always had that too you know like you don't you don't have success as a coach really at any level if you aren't demanding of your players like no no coach that wins anything of any worth is just like letting players run the ship and you know do whatever they want out there like you have to have structure that's what wins so when he won in the ushl or in college hockey like he had to be demanding with his players he had to have structure he had to keep hold everyone accountable like all that stuff you know even his you know year plus in dallas i mean they win a playoff round that he had some his teams played great team defense when he was there so um yeah like it, it's it's always been there we probably just didn't see as much of it last year again because they were so good that it's it was probably easy for him to maybe sit back a little and just be complimentary because it's like how how hard can you possibly be when the team's winning more games than any team's ever won before and he joked about that he said i i could have just sat there the whole year he 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 said that in post game press conferences to us before, like that he's just he was kind of just along for the ride. The team was gonna be good, like that. That was just a, it was a great team. So this year, it's more probably back to what he's used to. I would say, um, uh, having to try to work through and, and teach through mistakes and make adjustments and and all that kind of stuff. But still, it's not like he the team is once again playing well enough where it's not like, okay, he has the hardest job in the league. And that's probably one of the reasons why he's probably not going to win Jack Adams uh, this time around is because like you said, those other, those other two coaches out West in Winnipeg uh, and then, and Rick Tockett is uh, they're, they're having to, to work more towards a, a roster that maybe isn't a hundred percent where it's do it's outperforming where they, they might've thought it was obviously in Winnipeg, they have good goaltending and you know, what have you, but uh, yeah, maybe, maybe Montgomery won't be winning that award again, though. He's still probably, I would say like top three. So, I mean, that's still, that's still something. He's a, he's a Jack Adams caliber coach and that's all that really matters. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You know, not, not the greatest postseason for him last year, but everything besides that um, he's been great, obviously. Um, so, Bridget, I think earlier you mentioned how James Van Riemsdyk kind of did to the Flyers what he's done to the Bruins a lot of his career. Um, David Pasternak, I don't think any one player owns another franchise more than in the NHL than Pasternak owns the Flyers. He has, I think last night was his 29th or 30th game against the Flyers in his career. He's got just as many goals almost um, against that team. I mean, I I know for sure he has at least a couple of hat tricks against the Flyers. Um, and it was cool because he was asked about after the game, just his success against Philly and, and um, his answer was really cool. And uh, he talked about how 
he was drafted in Philadelphia and that's where his NHL dream started. And for a player to still have that recognition and that appreciation for the building that he was drafted in, you know, just the, the host city, um, you know, that, 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 that speaks to his, his um, maturity, I think as a player, his self-awareness and as a person, right? Like he's self-aware of his beginnings and whatnot. And um, he was certainly playing like a man on fire yesterday um, outside of the goal scoring to his overall game. He's just so much more mature physically. He wins one-on-one battles and he looks like a men, men amongst boys out there. Uh, and yeah, just another full on display of dominance against the Flyers yesterday. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was weird when he added that cheese steaks uh, power his superpowers. I thought that was a little weird. No, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, no, clear. Like he's been lights out against Philly and to, to some extent, like that stuff's, can also can often just be random where you're like, especially if it's not really a division rival, it's like, okay, like he owns this one team, you know, that just seems random. Maybe they haven't been very good. Obviously the flyers haven't been for the last several years. Um, but yeah, that connection to the draft is, is pretty cool. The fact that, um, that that still, still means something to him to be there. But um, yeah, I mean, I want a cheesesteak. This I'm hungry. This is, this is what Scott does. I, I haven't. I, I I too haven't thought of a thing since he mentioned that. Other yep, than that, I was just thinking. Yeah, last word I heard out of your mouth was cheesesteak. Well, then I'll I'll drop a little hot take here. Phil, the Philly cheesesteaks, like the famous ones, Pat's and Gino's, overrated. Extremely. Overrated. I don't really care where I get the cheesesteak from. If I'm being honest with you, I might have to go make one myself. But I now I want one. Yeah, uh, the best the best cheesesteak I've had in Philly was. Uh, it was Jim's. It was called Jim Steak. Um, there's also a place called John's Roast Pork, which I don't know if the listeners are familiar, but like a roast pork sandwich is like a f- famous thing. It's like broccoli rob or something like that. It's it's good, but they have good steaks. Um, and there's a couple others I'm missing too. But and any thanks, thank you very much, Scott. <laughs> uh, because, because here's the problem. Now, not only am I craving a cheesesteak, if I wanted a cheesesteak, because we're in Boston. There's nowhere to eh, – what am I going to do? Go to D'Angelo's or go to Papa Gino's for a cheesesteak? I mean, cheesesteaks in – I mean, obviously any house of pizza or, you know, has like – you get a steak and cheese um, with, you know, peppers and onions and stuff. But uh, it's just a different – it's a different product. Also, yeah. it's it's snowing out in Lowell, so I'm not not going anywhere to get a cheesesteak. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've screwed myself over here as well, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why we can't record at lunchtime. <laughs> let's get let's 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 get back on the track. What were we talking about? Chick fil A? No, 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 no. Pash and Philadelphia. Can't get that on Sunday either. No, you can't. Son of a bitch. 